close to water, we often find a place where life and where love happen. Think about that. Often the most romantic places in the world happen close to water, right? There's something about that that brings love to the surface. I met my wife Julie at Houghton College, and there in her women's dorm, behind that, there was a creek that ran through and a little bridge. The bridge set up a wonderful place for us to take walks, and of course, there we would talk about those things. We would talk about love, and we would talk about our future life potentially together, but even separately, our dreams and desires and wishes, and it was a place where life and love happened. It would be there by the water on that bridge that I would ask Julie to be my girlfriend, you know, to make whatever we were experiencing, whatever this thing was, to make it official, to put like some kind of connection there, you know, to have that relationship defining talk. We would have that talk there and I'd ask her to be my girlfriend and she'd say no. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, actually she said no. And she, her, what she really said was no, ask me again in two weeks. That's what she said. Great. Right. So it's like, so you know, you're going to say yes, but like this, like, But yeah, she said no, and actually she brought me back there a week later. Yeah, a week later she brought me back there, and she said, "Mm, I can't wait another week. Ask me again now. Yeah, I guess that's good. I don't know. Yeah, that's like, that defines how the relationship's going to be, I guess. Yeah, there we go. We would have conversations there about life and love, and we'd plan our future together. And of course it was there by the water on that bridge that after a series of other events, we would walk And I would get down on a knee and ask her to be my bride, to be my wife. And wonderfully that time, she didn't say, ask me again in two weeks. No, she just said yes. Something about water, it says life and love. Three of the Old Testament's more significant individuals, some of the biggest names in the Old Testament, would meet their spouses at a well. Isaac met Rebekah. Jacob met Rachel, and Moses met Zipporah, all by the water at a well. And so in this moment in John 4, think about it, when Jesus sits down by a well, and a woman, of course, shows up, my guess is lightning bolts, flashes, fireworks are supposed to be going off in our minds, right? The setup has been there three times before in the Bible, and we get this moment. Jesus was on a trip, we know this, from Judea to Galilee. There were different routes that he could have taken for this trip, but scripture says he had to go this way, not because it was the only option or the preferred option, but because God had a plan for this moment. It led Jesus to this well and this encounter with this Samaritan woman. We know this moment holds a lot of significance, shaped by by a history of life and love happening at the well, happening at water. But this wasn't a moment about love between a woman and a man, but a moment about love between a world and its Savior. Would you join me in prayer? Father, God above, we open our hearts to your love We ask right now that you would overflow this place with your presence and wherever those are joining us online, that they would feel and know your presence of life and love and grace. God, I ask that right now as we have this conversation and we we look at life and we desire fullness of it, we think of love and we want to know it's there forever and for security, we want to know that we are loved, 
God, I ask that you would open our hearts to you. Bless us in this conversation. May our hearts just turn towards you and to your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Jesus was thirsty. He was actually probably hungry, too. That's our understanding, because he sent his disciples into town to get some food. But Jesus sat down and decided he wanted a drink. Why didn't Jesus go with his disciples? Well, he's Jesus. He's probably pulling a lot of the work in this moment, right? He, has the, he should take a break. Plus, if Jesus goes to town, that probably creates a whole different situation than if the disciples go, right? Jesus is the one who draws the crowd, and so that's a different thing. It could be those reasons. The real reason we know is this. God had a plan for this moment. Jesus wants a drink. He is a human, and water brings life. Here in John 4, he encounters a woman and her people who also need life, but a fullness of life that water can't bring. But Jesus can. Remember John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the fullest. We first need to understand the Samaritan people to fully grasp this moment in history. Jesus is there with this Samaritan woman. He expresses something, a need for a drink, and of course this is a surprise in this moment. Why? Because the name Samaritan, that whole thing is like a big deal back then. To us, I don't think we make Samaritan that name a big deal. In fact, I think of Samaritan as a positive thing because we have the whole parable of the good Samaritan. And if you've heard Samaritan before, you probably think of it positively. In our world, in our culture anymore, good Samaritan is a good thing. It means a person who goes out of their way. They don't need to. They're different. They're whatever, but they go out of their way to do something good for someone else, to provide love and care for someone who may not be like them. I like that. So to me, Samaritan is a great name. It's a great Thing. But this was before that parable and before all of that history there. For the Jewish people, the Samaritans were basically the people they liked in the world the least. Why are those people so unliked by the Jewish people? So much so that this woman is amazed by Jesus speaking to her. In fact, verse 9 here translates to say that with the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, they don't associate, they don't share, and they have no dealings with one another. Why does that happen? Well, I think sometimes the people closest to us, but not quite like us, right? The people closest to us, but not quite like us, are the ones who we often form the biggest rivalry with. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, are you out there? Yeah, you probably, there's probably some of you out there, right? Yeah, Pittsburgh Steelers, who do they dislike the most, right? Who do they dislike the most? The people in their division who are closest to them, right? That's who they dislike the most. Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati. You don't like those places. You don't like those people, right? You don't like those teams. We understand that. I mean, come on. Pittsburgh fans, Cleveland, Cleveland. You're going to pick on them, but no, you love it. Every year you love watching Cleveland fall. As bad as it is for Cleveland, there's something sick about you, right? That you're like... Yeah, it's just, you know, no matter what our season is like, we know Cleveland is going to, right? Yeah, you know they're going to choke at some point in time, and there's something about you. It's, I'm just being honest, Pittsburgh. There's something about you that's okay with that. Philadelphia Eagles fans, who do you dislike, right? New York and Washington, all right? Then there's the one that doesn't make sense. I get it. It ruins this whole thing. Dallas. Why don't we like Dallas? They're all the way down there in Texas, right? But they're in our division, and, and there's a history with Dallas, specifically from the 90s, where they think a lot about themselves, right? Dallas fans, 
I'm calling you out, you do it, right? Like, like you haven't had that history recently, but you thought you were something great for a while. What irritates Philadelphia more than anything else? Someone who thinks they're better than they actually are, right? Yeah, yeah, and so there's like, there is that there, there's a closeness there. In European soccer, they have games that are called derby games. These are the biggest games in soccer. Huge games, crazy rivalries. We don't even understand this in America. They have these games where they actually have to put a row of security between the fans who stand there their enti- the entire game to keep the fans separate. And these derby games, they don't happen with, with, with teams far away from each other. No, they happen between the teams that are from the same city. There is something about those people who are close to us, but not quite like us, right? That just really sets our rivalry. The Jewish people and the Samaritans, they're not just neighbors. They are actually estranged siblings. Samaritans were Israelites. They were Israelites. A lot of their history is the same. Now, over time, they've separated through just history happening. The Samaritans have mixed with some other people groups. The Jewish people don't like that, but they still hold a lot of the same religious values. Yes, the Samaritans, through life and course of things, have mixed in for some false gods, but they still hold their scripture that they hold on to to be the first five books, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. That's what they believe in. So they have all this similarity, but they're different. They worship a lot the same way. Because of history, the Samaritans can't go to Jerusalem to worship anymore. So they had a mountain that was important to their history that they would go to worship. They actually had a temple on that mountain that they would go to worship. But the Jewish people came and knocked that temple down and said, no, you can only go to Jerusalem to really worship. We actually don't want you to come to Jerusalem, but that's where worship is supposed to happen. You can see the tension there. Jesus going to the Samaritans is probably worse than Jesus just going to complete foreigners, right, to the Romans or Greeks or something like that. Other Jews making this trip from Judea to Galilee, which would happen very often, they would take the long way That's the preferred way to go around Samaria. But Jesus didn't avoid them. In fact, he went right to them. This act of Jesus asking a Samaritan woman for a drink by itself is earth-shattering. It's earth-shaking. God's love, it breaks down barriers. It breaks down history. It breaks down the hurt and the division between us and him and us and one another. This moment in history, it's planned. God specifically went after these people. The people who you would say were opposite or different from his people, right? He went straight towards them. And he didn't need them to come to Jerusalem or to climb on a mountain to meet them. He came seeking them. This is important, and I think it should lead us to some important questions that we ask ourselves in this. I think the first one that comes to my mind is, is what barriers have we, what barriers have I placed between myself, between ourselves and God? What barriers have we placed between ourselves and God? What about us makes us think that we aren't good enough for God's love? What has happened in our past that makes us think that we don't deserve him in our lives? That the fullness of life that Jesus promises, what makes us, what has happened in our life that we think, I can't have that, I can't achieve that, that can't be mine anymore. What hurt has happened to us that has left us feeling like we should and just should live empty? 
Know this, as God sought out the Samaritans, know that right now he is seeking you out. He loves you. There is nothing about you or that has happened in the past that has impacted his love for you. There is no decision that you've made that says that, to God that I'm unlovable. He loves you. He wants to be a part of your life right now. He is seeking you out. I encourage you to seek out, to seek out those barriers between you and God and tear them down. God loves you and he is seeking you. He loves you. I think there's another question we should ask ourselves in this because I'm looking out here and I'm seeing lots of amazing good people that I know. And I'm thinking to myself that many of us here in this situation, we probably are in reality less Samaritan and more on the Jewish side of this equation, right? We're the people who we come to church, we do good things, we do right, and we're good, and we're, we're, we're doing all those great things, right? And we're less the people who, who we're looking at the world and saying God doesn't love us, but maybe we're the ones looking at the world and wondering, does God love them even? I think that's probably true. So we should ask ourselves this question, what barriers have we placed between others and God's love? What are we holding on to so tightly that it is destroying our chance to impact someone with God's love? A hurt, the past, an opinion, politics, lifestyle, anger, what is it? Know this, whoever they are and however they live, God is seeking them right now with everything. He is seeking them. Let us not stand in the way of God's love in their lives. There's a warning here that I think we recognize from this moment. See, I think when you hear me talk about this, if you're whatever, if you listen to like news at all or anything, you're thinking about certain lifestyles and you're triggered a little bit and you're like, he doesn't get it. He doesn't, you know, there's like a thing like he probably shouldn't be saying this. And you, you like go to that level in some kind of political with some kind of person way out there away from you who lives something separate from you. And like, you're thinking about that relationship. But the truth is what's happening here in scripture. It's the Jewish people and the Samaritans. It's the people closest to one another. And that's the warning here that the barriers that we put up, usually they don't impact those people far away from us. They're impacting your loved one right here with you. May we be careful about the barriers that we put up because they impact the people closest to us. May we let nothing stand between our loved ones and God's love. May we let nothing stand between our loved ones and God's love. Let us remember what we know. We are all changed by God. That is how change happens. I can't change you. I can't say something that changes you. You are changed by God moving in your life. We are impacted by God's love and our desire to embrace the truth of that love for our lives. That is how change happens. Know this. He is seeking you now. I am sorry if you're here in person or in line. I am sorry if anyone or any moment in life has made you feel like you aren't loved by God. I encourage you to open your heart to him. Open your heart to him. I'm going to pause for a drink for a second, if that's okay.
Someone first service after first service, when I did this, they mentioned that, uh, oh, did you take a drink because of like the whole theme of this like passage, right? Like water makes sense. No, I just needed a drink. (laughs) Nothing in there. It is Deer Park. This actually, I used to live next to this one of these springs in Pine Grove. It's a true story. It would go through the basement of the house that I lived in and we could use it to keep things cold. So the water you might be drinking here might have kept my Mountain Dew cold back in the day. Just saying. (laughs) That's a real true thing. All right, are you okay? The real reason here is like sometimes we need to pause. That was decent preaching. It led us to a moment. We need to pause and a break in a second. Now let's continue. You're okay to continue? We're going to anyway. So here we go. Now we're looking at change. Things are about to change for this Samaritan woman. We need to ask ourselves, who is this woman? This matters. Who is this specific? We understand the Samaritan part. Who is this woman specifically? Just past this scripture that we read, we see in verses 17 and 18, it says that we, we learn that this woman has had five husbands and is now connected to a man who is not her husband. We don't know what we, that connection exactly looks like, but she's connected to him. She is someone who we would say is in need of life. It's easy to judge this woman, isn't it? Throughout church history, when we've looked at this passage and this woman, we have cast a lot of judgment here, haven't we? It is easy. Sometimes judgment makes us feel great about ourselves, does it not? It is great to look at someone, and this is, I think, this person particularly, it's like, it's like well, five, I'm, I'm not there, right? It's, it, there is something about looking, that's what judgment does, right? It makes us feel great about ourselves because we look at someone who we think is worse off than us, and it makes us feel wonderful, doesn't it? There's something that we just want to cast judgment at this woman. We look at her and we just want to say, oh, look at that. Oh, my. Oh, me. Right? Yeah, you look at it, you're like, five. Oh, I didn't even know that was possible. Right? <gasps> and now she's with some person that's not her husband? Well, I never. Right? I didn't even know that kind of thing happened, right? Yeah, right? Like, we, get, we can do that. It's so easy to embrace that judgment, to get into that. But then we see Jesus, and his words have no judgment, right? In fact, knowing this about her, he states this really just to open her heart to who he is and the specialness of this connection and and the specialness and amazingness of Jesus. There's no judgment there. Did you know as we think about this woman, did you know that women in this day and culture couldn't initiate divorce? Because that's where we go to, right? This is a person who's trying to get greedy or whatever and like just jump in for a person. They couldn't initiate divorce in this time. She couldn't do it for herself. In most marriages, the women were so young and the men not that, right? And we know at this time, life expectancy, not super long, the historian Josephus wrote, I found this out in my research, the historian Josephus wrote about a woman who at this time was widowed twice before she was 22. Before she was 22, she was widowed twice. And the man this woman was connected to, there could be cultural reasons why they weren't married at the time. The truth is we don't know and we don't know so many things. So why judge in this moment? Sure, we can look at her with judgment. I say we choose to look at her with grace. This is a woman who's just trying to find love and life. She's just trying to find love and life. This week, I went with a few family members to the Kutztown Folk Festival. 
if you like Pennsylvania Dutch things and life, if you have any history in that, I encourage you to check that place out because it like took me way back into like the Pennsylvania Dutch stuff that I was raised in in central Pennsylvania. Now, there were certain things that I avoid because that's like not something I enjoy, specifically being sauerkraut and bean soup. I'm just saying that's not my thing. I just want you to understand you can judge me and that's okay if it's your thing. It is not my thing. And that just, that takes me nowhere, but like, yeah, it takes me like, it, it doesn't take me there. It doesn't, it doesn't. But there was something and it actually surprised me. The thing that took me to like way back, my great aunt Martha, she would regularly make iced tea, but she would make it with mint, right? Like mint iced tea. And like I took, there was some there and I took one sip and it was like, I was back there. Like just all the history and thoughts and things I remember, a flood of memory. I tried to talk to my daughter Stella about it and kind of like share, it wasn't working. She wasn't getting it because she's like, this is just odd tea. Yeah, no, but like, (laughs) but to me it was wonderful. It had me thinking back over my life and and my family, and the relationships that I've had, the life that I've tried to achieve, and the, the love that I've tried to share in. Probably like you, but I'll just speak for myself, there are so many ways that I have sought out love and tried to find a full life. Even to this day, being married and having children, there are moments in that where I have to remind myself that none of those individuals in my family are supposed to bring me full life, Right? That that love, any of that love, the love between myself and my wife, as wonderful as I think it is, it's not supposed to complete me. It doesn't do that. And if I put any of that life and love on them to bring me fullness, to make me feel good about myself, I'm actually doing them a huge disservice. I'm putting pressure on their shoulders that they do not deserve to have to carry. But we do that, don't we? Because I have a thirst. I think we have a thirst a thirst for life and love. But it's a thirst that only our Savior Jesus Christ can quench. I have a thirst. For that thirst, I need a Savior. Who is this woman? Who is this woman? She's me. She's you. She is the Samaritan people. She's all of us. She's all of us who are lost and confused, seeking to find life and purpose, value and and love in this world. If you don't want to do it, I'll say it for us. I identify with the Samaritan woman. I want life. I want love. I want to belong. I want to feel whole. I want to know that I have purpose. I want to know that things that I do matter. I want those things. Let me say it again. I want life, and I want love, and I want to belong, and I want purpose. I want what only the living water of Jesus Christ can bring to my life. And it is here for all of us. God pulled this moment in history together. He did it for all of us. He did this for you. May we not doubt for a second that this meeting at a well was specifically set up in history for a reason. We know that Jesus should never have met with this woman by their cultural standards. At this time, rabbis barely acknowledged women in public, 
Most did not, yet here is Jesus having a full conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. Yes, this is about God's love for this woman, but more so this is about God's love for his world. God brought Jesus to a well to meet with us, to communicate the truth to life and love through the acceptance of Jesus as our Savior. The culminating moment here in this passage is verse 42, and I encourage you to read this entire chapter and the moments that happen here. But in verse 42, after the Samaritan woman has then gone to her people and testified about Jesus, has brought them together, and Jesus has spent two days with these people, and they've been impacted by him, they proclaim. Verse 42, what do they proclaim? They said, now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. What do we do with this? What do we do with this now? I know I get it. We're not at a well right now. There's no stream. There's, there's rivers close by. Some of you enjoy them, but they're not here at this moment. There's no water to make this moment like romantic to bring the love out in it, is there? It's probably good. We don't come to church for romance, right? Normally not at least. Yeah, we're not, we're not looking for that in this moment. It's not here. And that doesn't matter. Because we know this, Jesus has the living water. And he is here with us now. His love, his grace, his ability to bring life to us, it is not a well or a stream, a creek or even a river. It is a spring that surpasses oceans. And it is here now. Do you need a Savior today? Know this. He is ready. He is here seeking you out. Some of us here today, we need a savior of love. A savior from our sins, our past, from our hurts. We need a spiritual savior. I want you to know that you can meet with him here, here, right here now. You can meet with him. I know how church moments go. I want you to feel no pressure in this moment. I'm going to offer a chance for you to have salvation in Jesus Christ when it's done, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or come forward. I do think follow-up in these kinds of moments is important. You have those connect cards. You've got pastors here across the front. You can mark in your connect card that I want to talk to a pastor about the decision I just made and what I should do going forward. You can come up and have a conversation with us right now after this service. But there's no pressure in this. I have no desire to pressure you in this. We are looking as a church to just build people who want to love for God, who want to live a life for him, and that is our interest and desire in this. So feel no pressure in this. Here's what I do know, and I will tell you this with no pressure. I know that Jesus came into this world to live a life for us, to teach us how to live and how to love. I know that he died a death of love clearly communicating God's love like nothing else could have. He died a death of love. And I know that three days later, God brought him back from the dead. He did that to illustrate his power over sin and death. The same power that can change our hearts, that can save us by the power of Jesus' blood. Provide for our eternity, but bring us fullness of life here and now. 
I believe that that can be yours. I believe in it because I know the power of God's love. I would ask if you do as well. I'm not saying that this will make your life sunshine and raspberries. We're not a church who believes that, right? That everything's going to be perfect. I will say this, even in some of my more mundane moments in life or whatever kinds of moments, I will say this, this relationship has brought purpose to my life. It has brought meaning and love to me. I know it's easy for me to say that as a pastor. You think, oh, you're surrounded by this, right? I can tell you this, some of the most meaningful moments of my life have not happened here at church. When I was a young adult, I worked at a place called Sheets. Have you ever heard of Sheets? It's a pretty wonderful and fantastic place. I worked at Sheets as a young adult from the 10 at night, from 10 at night to 6 in the morning shift. I would work there. Every night around 2 to 3 o'clock, I would get my break, and I would eat three to four hot dogs with nacho cheese and chili, a score bar, and a Jones green apple soda. It was wonderful being a young adult. I am not there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it does not happen, right? It's kind of funny. You can think about that, but I really enjoyed my time there. And I can remember a conversation I had as I was leaving that place. Two managers pulled me aside and they said to me, if you have any Christian friends who are looking for a place to work, tell them to come here. There is something about the fulfillment of that purpose that I cannot explain to you. It can simply be felt by living a life of purpose for Jesus Christ. He loves you. He has a purpose for you. In whatever you do, you have value and you were made to help be a part of his plan to change lives. I'm going to ask this now, if you will, to close your eyes and bow your heads. If you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to make this statement, I invite you to pray with me now. Father in heaven, God above, God, I love you. I want to live a life for you. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this moment in history where it is clear that, that life comes from him. God, fill me with the truth of his love. Help me to learn from his life. God, I believe in Jesus. I believe in his death a sacrifice made in love for me. God, I believe in your resurrection power that you brought him back from the dead. I believe you have that same power in my own heart and life. Forgive me of any sins. Live in me and help me to live in you. God, my life is yours. Be my Lord and Savior. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you again, if you pray that prayer with us and are looking for a life with Jesus Christ, connect with a pastor through the card in your bulletin or another way. We're not going to ask you to respond. I encourage you just to live for him. As we close, I'm going to invite you to stand up on your feet, if you will, as a congregation. We're going to sing a song that lifts the name of Jesus, and I encourage you to remember this. Maybe you didn't need a savior this morning in terms of, of where you're going for eternity, but I imagine that there are many of us here this morning that needed the reminder 
that my life and true and full life is not found in anything in this world. It's not going to be found in a relationship. It's not going to be found in its success. It's not going to be found in a bank account. It's not going to be found in power. It's going to be found in Jesus Christ. If you need that reminder, if you need that blessing to go forward into your life and say, I'm going to put my priorities and my worries and my stress and my purpose somewhere else, I just ask that you accept this blessing as we turn to worship. And as you leave here, be filled with what God wants to do in your life. Father in heaven, I pray your blessing over this congregation. I know there are individuals here this morning, God, who just through the course of life, things have got mixed up and our priorities, priorities are not where they need to be. God, I ask that you would just allow us to recognize that we have a savior. And even now, God, I know I need a savior. My life and its responsibilities, I get them mixed up, God. God, sometimes I am off. And as a parent, I worry about things I don't need to worry about. I focus on other things. I say different, God, I just know I need you. I need a savior. God, help me to keep things in focus. Allow to remember, allow me and each and every one of us here to remember where life, full life and true love come from. Bless us in that, God. Be with us now as we go forward in this world. May your love and that fullness of life flow from us into the people we impact. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.